goes into designing a motorcycle? I mean, what does it really take? We all have seen these incredible builds from the custom motorcycle builders. It's a, a bobber, a cruiser, uh, or a scrambler. They look incredible, and they're all done in a garage, maybe with one or two people working in there. So why do the manufacturers take so much time to produce or even make a modification to a new model? Or how about your bike, for instance? When you did modify it, how did your modifications affect the overall performance? I mean, we like to think that our mods always improve, but do they? And how can you tell? Or can you even tell? And when a new bike hits the market and the company says the frame has been stiffened by 15% or the shocks are now a larger diameter, what does that really tell us? Well, today we have a motorcycle designer that is quite willing to speak, well, rather frankly, about what goes on behind the usually closed doors of motorcycle design. And what he has to say may not only surprise you, but it might even make you mad. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hitstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Three, two, two, one, deep breath. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Googletech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Oh. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Michael Ularic is a motorcycle designer. Yeah, he has one of those dream jobs of designing the bikes that we love to ride. And over the next hour, we're going to talk about motorcycle design, modification, and some ideas and concept that may have you seeing your bike in a, a slightly different perspective. I kind of like to imagine that this conversation that we're about to have right now is sort of like what it would be to be a fly on the wall in the design department where you're often hearing things, well, that you really weren't supposed to. My name is Michael Ularic. I am a motorcycle design and product planning consultant, and I'm from Sudbury, Ontario. Michael, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. 
Thank you. We've been talking for a long time before we even started doing this interview, and, and that's how good the conversation gets, I think, at least from my perspective. But let's start out with talking a little bit about your background. Um, where, where, how did you get into motorcycling? Where does that come into your life? I think like most people who grew up in a rural Canada, um, dirt bikes and unlicensed, you know, two-stroke dirt bikes were kind of everywhere. And uh, like young, a lot of young boys, uh, they were cool. I wanted to do that. Um so I, I had a couple of opportunities to mess around on various mo- motorcycles, uh, not knowing what I was doing. And then uh, I attended a motorcycle show in Toronto when I was 16, went on the last minute sort of whim with my older brother. And one of the contests I applied for was uh, Learn to Ride program with Yamaha and uh, Humber College. I won. And that was it. I was hooked. I, I learned to, I got my license and uh, I studied industrial design. And after a couple of years of working in the toy business, I I just thought, well, life's short. If I wanted to do anything in the world, what would it be? And I thought, well, I design products. I want to design motorcycles. After that, went to Europe, uh, got a master's degree in vehicle design, did a thesis project on a turbine monocoque sport bike and an internship at Piaggio and the rest just fell into place. Worked at Yamaha for many years, uh, Piaggio group in Italy, uh, traveled, lived abroad for 11 years, Italy, Japan, various countries, and uh, then eventually came home to Bombardier, did some advanced concepts for them. And since 2010, I've been a freelance consultant for a lot of different brands on electrification programs, sort of uh, strategic product planning, basically helping them decide what to do rather than how to do it. So you're still a motorcycle designer. Oh, yeah. Why do you say recovering motorcycle designer? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's a, I say that because uh, I recognize my limitations. And uh, per our earlier conversation, there comes a time when every creative professional Maybe less so in architecture, but certainly in industrial design for vehicles. You, you really need to recognize that your style is getting dated. Um, there are younger, frankly, better designers beneath me who, uh, you know, all over the world who have fresher ideas and are more in touch with what's happening. So I'm happy to uh, to to support that activity and uh, on the more sort of business side and planning side and let them uh, do the wild and crazy styling. What's the S-U-R-V or is it R-U moped company? Oh, Suru. Yeah, Suru. Suru is uh, my own uh, business. It's the initials come from the names of my children, Sophie and Robin. And Suru is electric mobility for everyone. Low cost, incredibly durable, made in Canada. And uh, it's, think of the Honda Cub, but electric and made here. Hmm. And it's mopeds. So you, mopeds, I guess, are, yes. are still considered the ones with the foot pedals. That's right. Exactly. Except electric this time. And some of the parameters have changed. You know, legislation has changed since the 1960s. You can't go quite as fast as you could on a gas-powered moped. Um Otherwise, you would require a license. But like this, you don't need a license or insurance. um, And you can go anywhere a bicycle can go. 
Well, when it comes to designing modern motorcycles, I mean, I think the same as everything. Everything is becoming very high tech now. And I think I've said on this show before is something that is apparent to me is that when I was younger, when people fixed things up, vehicles or motorcycles, there was a lot of, of making things out of nothing. So you'd find some some sort of piece that might fit for something and you would Mickey Mouse it, so to speak, and put it on. Nowadays with computers and computer-controlled machinery, we're coming out with perfect parts, accessories, everything is perfect. And of course, this is in the manufacturing as well. They're manufacturing motorcycles to these incredible tolerances and innovation and design. So what I wanted to talk about was the fact that when we buy a bike, often the first thing we're looking at, uh, at least for a lot of us, is um, what can we change to make this bike better? Is there a chance that even though they have all this technology that we can out-design them in the driveway, that we can bring that bike home and we can do huge modifications and make this bike into what it should be? So the short answer is no. Um, It it is the height of hubris for any individual, I don't care what their background, aerospace, machinist, whatever, to think that they can uncover some performance envelope that hasn't been engineered in by the literally thousands of professionals that are involved in the development of a mass production motorcycle today. Um, The nuanced answer is, of course, every modern production motorcycle is a compromise of some sort. Um, Compromise towards longevity, cost, durability, uh, ease of use, ownership, whatever. So, you know, a great example is if we talk about adventure bikes, if you take a stock dual sport, entry-level dual sport, a CR CRF 250L Honda, you know, out of the box, it's, it does everything very well. But if you're a really serious adventure rider, you're going to change the tires, more aggressive tread. You can, you know, add a skid plate and hand guards and maybe a, a, a rack to put on a jerry can for some extra fuel. All of those improvements that you can make in the driveway are legitimately going to improve that product for one application, which is, you know, off-road riding, back backwoods, you know, long-distance backwoods riding. But it will also, by default, make it worse in other areas. It'll make it uh, heavier or less uh, responsive on the road or reduce the fuel consumption. Plus, it will add cost. So that's the nuanced answer. You can improve any motorcycle, stock motorcycle with your aftermarket accessories or your mechanical tuning sense. But what you're doing is not generally improving it. It's not like 1970 where, you know, stock suspension was garbage no matter how you sliced it, you know, or brakes or bodywork or whatever. What you're doing is you're, you're raising the capability in certain areas, but causing a commensurate um, degradation in other areas or simply adding cost. Well, what do you think of when you hear people make statements like, you know, a new motorcycle comes out and they say the suspension is way too soft on that. It needs a higher horsepower engine. What do you think of when you hear things like that? I hear the same voices I've heard in, you know, for 20 years, which is people don't know what they're talking about. Um, making very general statements based on their particular point of view. They may be a 100% right 
for a specific use. Remember, you know, everybody wants everything all the time. I went to many professional clinics with Yamaha where you you have like early pre-production model of a vehicle and you interview 20, 40, 60 people in the target audience and you ask them. Everybody says, what do you want? Do you want, you know, would you prefer uh, more wind protection or more storage? And the answer is yes. <laughs> would you <laughs> Would you like more horsepower or, you know, better fuel economy? Yes. You know, and, and so... You know, the designers of any brand could be European, Japanese, doesn't matter. They have to choose a target that's going to cover the broadest number of consumers. Even the so-called hardcore product, you know, KTM. Oh, we cater to the, you know, off-road super enthusiast. You know, really? Not really. Because, you know, the the person who buys a KTM is, is immediately assuming... Uh, accepting that they're going to spend 20% more than they would for the equivalent Japanese model. So there's the compromise. I want, I'm willing to spend more money, ergo, I will get more things like CNC machined parts or, you know, that beautiful cast swing arm with the, you know, but, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the rear shock is, is, doesn't, doesn't have a linkage, you know, so everything is a compromise. You, you know, the CRF, it's too soft. Well, it's a motorcycle for ordinary people. And if you're a hardcore user and you're looking for a 250cc scalpel, yeah, you're going to need to invest to tune the suspension or to your preference. But if you're selling a bike to a person who's just got their license or someone who just wants a, a dual sport for everyday use and maybe do a little light gravel riding, then the suspension's fine. So that's the answer there is, you know, the corporation, the manufacturer is trying to catch as many people into their tent as possible. So they can't make every product to be cutting edge hardcore. They'd never make money that way. When you say compromise, compromise sounds sort of negative, but compromise is something that we even have to do when we're modifying the bike for our specific application. I mean, you mentioned changing the tires, for instance, just choosing a tire is such an individualistic procedure to go through because I might choose a completely different tire than my buddy that I ride with all the time for different reasons. So, I mean, compromise isn't, isn't really negative, is it? It's, it's just a way of trying to get the most out of something for the masses. That is exactly what I mean. I, I have too much of a European and slash Japanese background. Compromise is not a dirty word. Compromise is what adults do. You know, you, you weigh in your hands. It's not zero sum. You, you know, you, you can always take away from something to find gains elsewhere. Um, it's just changing the specificity of what a motorcycle can do. So absolutely, it is, I do not mean it in a pejorative sense at all. When you're designing a motorcycle, what, what sort of thought process goes into it sort of in a general sense? I mean, is it designed, you know, from, from the back to the front to be what it is? How much work goes into the thought process for each individual aspect of it, including the things we're talking about changing, maybe your suspension and your tires and things like that? So it is an involved process. People want to believe that there's some lone genius sitting behind a table and, you know, and, and the Italian brands do a great job of promoting that image. But even there, it's nonsense. You have teams of people. You have in a big manufacturer, you have a project leader. It's typically it's an engineer, but not always. 
Um, and under that engineer, you have someone representing design, someone representing the platform, like the, the chassis engineering, a power plant engineer, and, you know, a marketing person. And all of these people get together and they have subordinate teams of people. The designer has assistant designer, a junior designer, maybe a, a clay modeler, a hard modeler, a computer modeler or two or three. And that's just one division. So you have these vast groups of people. And at the top, that project leader and the key three or four individuals, they sit down with the product planner. And this is where most of my job lately is. And you kind of have to target, well, who is this for? And what is the mission? And if I pick on the CRF 250, or you just since we talked about it earlier, the mission was dual sport for everyone. I'm, I wasn't part of that project, but that would be what I would call it. You know, dual sport for everyone. A five foot five woman, a expert, a novice, someone who wants to go flat tracking, just amateur Sunday night flat track racing, but doesn't want to spend a fortune. Um, you know, everyone. And so given that you created something called a QFD, which is a quality function design document, where you specify what are the most important things you need to achieve, what are the list of things you would like to achieve but are expendable, and then you work towards it. Always with motorcycle design, you start with knowns. It's rare that you have a blank sheet and everything is new. Usually there's a carryover engine or there's a previous generation of a model. There's some body of knowledge you can lean on. And all of these things will inform your choices. So maybe it's that, you know, previous model was good and you just know exactly what needs to be improved. That might be the situation with the KLR um, that we spoke of. If it's a new model or a model that's new to that particular manufacturer, then they're going to borrow components from existing bikes to save cost. And right away you, you run into, oh, well, this gearbox, maybe the housing physically doesn't accommodate the kind of low gears we want. Hmm. Now comes the creative part. How do we compensate for that? Do we put a larger rear sprocket? What are the effects on the rear end? Every time you make a change, a technical change, change this tire size, you change the dynamic performance of that vehicle. And this is the nuance. This is the pure science and engineering that the average, even above average mechanic backyard tuner cannot possibly begin to understand and appreciate. Like we're talking professional engineers working 20, 25 years in the motorcycle industry, sometimes with different companies, and they're groups of them, and they're working together with very large resources to work out so that all of these things come together to form a, a motorcycle at the end that's reliable, makes money for the manufacturer, is not expensive to work on, and that can work in as many situations as possible. Um, you know, we in our culture, motorcycle culture, we always have the local guru, the suspension guru, the engine tuning guru, and they're really good at one thing. You need to have 20 of those guys to invent a motorcycle from scratch. And they have to be able to work together and work within a budget and work within a schedule. And that's the difference between factory level engineering and design 
and tuning in the aftermarket. You mentioned to me before when we were talking about um, selling motorcycles and you mentioned about the, the concept of ordering online for motorcycles. That would sort of lend itself to a more specialized or personalized purchase of a motorcycle in my mind. I'm just running this through as we talk, but I'm thinking if you could order the bike online, that's about the only way. And of course, this would be ordering and waiting for it to be built. That's the only way you could customize it for each person, because if they've used generalities to manufacture a motorcycle, in particular, that like we talked about the CRF 250, if they use generalities to manufacture that motorcycle, you could then go online and say, okay, I'm not that weight, I'm this weight. And this is how I want to use the bike. And it could change some components and then actually deliver your perfect bike. I, I think the only fly in the ointment, I think, is for new riders who wouldn't know what they want until after they've ridden for a while. But does that make sense? I mean, that, that's sort of like the only way you could ever get a bike that's built for you. So that totally makes sense. It, you know, this has been dreamed of and talked about for as long as I've been in the business. It's not a new idea. The difference is that the technology makes it possible. 3D printing and rapid prototyping, and more importantly, the incredibly not sexy but but revolutionary uh, changes in logistics that we can now order a pair of gloves from Guangzhou and they will be in, Amazon will deliver them to me in like three days halfway around the world for free. Um, mm-hmm. That makes it possible for a manufacturer to say, yeah, you should be able to go online. You should be able to choose your own triple clamps, your own suspension, um, your own, and, and have this a la carte menu put together. If I can order from HelloFresh or Blue Apron to have food custom delivered to my house, food that, that perishes, that expires, you know, and a complex meal with 25 ingredients, why can't... Uh, an OEM the size of a Honda, Kawasaki, BMW, simply be able to, at the factory level, at the distributor level, let's say, the national distributor level, say, all right, I've ordered a Ducati, you know, Multistrada. I want this basic model, but I want the suspension from the, from the, you know, the R and I want the hard cases, but I don't want the top case. And I want, like, you should be able to really just pick and mix and, you know, have that delivered. And even if they put together different shocks and things like that, systems where you could say, no, you know, they've, they've got three or four or six different choices and they give you explanations of what each one is and you'd choose it. I mean, to me, that would get, that would allow you to, to get the bike so that it's perfect for you, you know, rather than going the other route. So obviously this, this isn't going to happen. Now I was going to mention there, there was a car company before that did, I'm trying to think of the name and it escapes me now. Um, what was the car company that, that had, um, they would actually order the Scion. car in advance. Scion did, uh, which was a Toyota brand, um, did offer factory customization on a level that had not been available previously. And they were really with it when it came to branding on the web. The idea was that Scion was going to be the first car for millennials, the first brand for millennials. The irony is that Scion shut down after like less than 15 years because Although it was targeting millennials, the people who bought the cars were their parents. So it ended up being baby boomers buying cars that they thought their kids would like. Um, and then when the kids didn't drive them much, the you know mom and dad drove them and really liked it. And that drove the next generation of Scion to be older, to be more conservative. And then by the third generation, the, 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 the 
balloon had deflated. It's an interesting case study. But um, if mass customization hasn't worked in automotive yet, it's because just no one has hit the magic formula. Starbucks is proof that mass customization works, that you can make every individual coffee completely unique to the to the consumer. And that's something that's, you know, there's so many combinations. I want a blonde latte decaf with a twist of lime and a served in this cup. And they're like, sure. And, you know, 90 seconds later, it's done. And they're making profit doing that. Um, so there's no reason why you couldn't do this on a uh, on an OEM level with motorcycles, especially since most of the components are already, most motorcycles are built that way now. So... Ducati right now has a family of platforms, a family of engines, and a family of body styles. Basically four of each, if roughly. And with that, they provide a catalog of like 45 models. And they really don't, but what they have done is mastered this logistical trick so that, you know, you can order this bike with this style of, you know, this style of motorcycle, but with one of four different engines and one of four different trim levels and, you know, different levels of performance and so on and so forth. And on the back end, it's not costing them anymore. In fact, it's costing them less. So this is definitely something that motorcycle manufacturers are going to do. I just don't think it's going to happen over here. I think it's going to start happening in places like India and Thailand, um, where the motorcycle market is much more robust. We're going to take just a short break and be right back. And I thank a couple of sponsors that helped bring this episode to you today. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about, well, what should we be modifying on our motorcycles and a, a whole bunch more. Stay with us. Back in 1976, IMS products began making parts for racers. And since that time, IMS has been owned and run by racers continuously which if you think about it, is pretty incredible because not only have they hung on to those racer roots, but they've also managed to build a highly successful company by focusing on quality, durable parts built to race standards for um, both racers and uh, just street riders like ourselves. Now, I want to mention the rally foot pegs that IMS Products has. The, the rally peg is a peg with a very clean design. It has an aggressive tooth pattern and a sort of a wider platform than what your stock pegs do. It better distributes the weight and helps you with your lean angle and obviously improves your, your total handling and control of the bike. Now, IMS says whether you're riding a 450 in the desert race uh, or whether you're riding the sands of Dakar to riding an adventure bike like a 1200cc plus adventure bike, the comfort and handling improvement is noticeable right from the first mile to the hundredth mile. Now, I can back that up from experience too because the first time I stood up on my pegs, I felt the difference immediately over my stock pegs. I also like the tooth design. I never worry about losing my grip between my boot and the peg. And I move around on the pegs with full confidence no matter what's on my feet, no matter what I've stepped into. I really like that. But of course, they also have the IMS ADV1s and ADV2s, which are adventure pegs designed just for us adventure riders. So drop by their website and see what they've got for your bike. www.imsproducts.com. Grab an incredible set of foot pegs that are made in the USA. They come with a lifetime warranty and change your ride for the better. www.imsproducts.com. Be sure to drop our name when you're dealing with them. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. 
Now, if you're a woman rider or you know a woman rider, I'm going to give you a website that you absolutely need to go check out. It's www.motobirdadventures.com. The woman's name is Carrie Doherty. She runs the trips. She runs the company. She started the company because she absolutely loves motorcycle riding. She wanted to give back to other women that are interested in motorcycle riding. And a lot of times that's what you want to do. You want to find a group of like-minded riders. And this is certainly it if you're a woman rider. She takes people out of her her California setup there. She's got trips running into Baja, California, and California itself. If you're wondering what it takes to join one of these trips, drop by our website, click on the FAQ link, and you're going to see right at the start what is required to join a tour, how do I sign up, what about a motorcycle, and she's got all the information on there. Uh, Carrie is a, a certified instructor as well. So drop by the website, look at what trip she has coming up. She's got a California Central Coast motorcycle tour June 15th. August 10th, the California Lost Coast Dual Sport Motorcycle Tour. So she does a mixture. Some of them are are more street and some of them are more dual sport or or have a lot of dual sport in them. Baja's Paved Roads, that's September 1st. Uh, Another dual sport Baja one in uh, October. Sounds very cool. And then Paved Roads in in, uh, next January. So there's a full calendar there. You've got to grab one of these trips. You you better move fast though because there's limited space on all of them. The website again, www.motobirdadventure.com. Now, if you know a woman rider, spread the news, give them the website, tell them to mention Adventure Rider Radio when they contact her and get themselves signed up for what could be one of their best adventures ever. Well, when we talk about out-designing or trying to out-design the motorcycle manufacturer, it's clear that we're not going to do that. But what we did talk about, and you mentioned that we can improve certain things on it. How do we know if we get the brand new bike in the driveway, how do we know what we can change for the good of our ride um, and what we shouldn't be changing? Well, for one thing, I would say that people should stop messing around with the exhaust system. This... Is, a, is this mythology that an open throat exhaust, oh, I'll free up all this power. No, you won't. What you're doing is you're, you're freeing up power in a very narrow bandwidth of the engine's performance while ruining its performance everywhere else. The amount of pure science and engineering that goes into developing the ECU, the emission control system and the exhaust length, the muffler and all that, people have no idea. So please, everyone listening, leave the stock exhaust system on there. Unless you're willing to go to a dyno, to a tuner and invest $200 an hour for a professional you know, shop with a rolling floor and a dynamometer. And more importantly, it's not just the tools. Does the, do the people there know how to use them? Do they know what you're looking for? And even then, you're really just going to liberate some horsepower at the top end or, or you know, a little low-end torque at great cost in terms of fuel economy and performance elsewhere. So don't, don't touch the exhaust. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of people of that are going to be disappointed to hear that. Though, though is, it, is changing something for looks not part of a customization that you should be doing? And in this case, it's for sound. Um, do you think it's too detrimental to the overall performance of the machine that somebody shouldn't be doing it anyway, even though all they want is the sound, even if they're willing to give up a couple of percent horsepower or maybe uh, get a little flatter performance out of it? So if people should understand what I'm saying. Do whatever makes you happy, but don't delude yourself. 
you know, the, if you think that the the look of an Akrapovich exhaust system is 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 awesome and the sound is awesome, you know, and your neighbors aren't going to hate you, then you know, knock yourself out. It's the same what I think I say to people who are talking about loud pipes saving lives, and oh, I know I've just you know unleashed the gates of hell there, but you know, science and fact, unfortunately, are, are really pretty pretty clear on this. If you just like it. That's different. I don't. I might disagree with you. I hate open throat motorcycles. They drive me crazy. I'm a motorcyclist. I had a, you know, a lot of very obnoxious motorcycles in my life, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. But it's just there's a point at which you're really just irritating others for no reason, and you're not making the bike better. You are not. But in terms of aesthetics, make it your own. Strip off the bodywork, change the bodywork, swap out the handlebar, you know, whatever. Taller screen, remove the screen, luggage, whatever. Go crazy. Don't weld, don't cut frames, and don't weld onto frames, please, um, for your own safety. Because unless, again, not, I'm not questioning someone's skill as a welder. That, that's not the point. When you add things on to load-bearing structures, you are messing with the balance of the whole in ways, again, unless you've not only are an engineer, but are an engineer with the, with the, with the test data showing where the stress points are, you're, you're playing with fire. Um, this is Adventure Talk Radio, so let me use an adventure example. Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman on their epic first BMW around the world video they broke a frame. They broke the frame because they overloaded it. That's simple. They had too much stuff. They abused those bikes past their, you know, design envelope and they cracked the frame and it's on the videos. You know, th this is what comes when you over accessorize. <laughs> so, you know, Play within the margins when the oil change is recommended to change the oil. I know it sucks if you have to pay someone else to do it, but these things are there for a reason and they're not there to, to, to squeeze money from your wallet. They're done by people like me who really, really love motorcycling, who work inside these companies and we've designed these products for long life if you respect the owner's manual. Okay, so looking at the rest of the bike, then the common things that people like to change, of course, are tires. I think tires without question, but um, that, then it gets into suspension and we sort of go up from there. Uh, are there are there areas that you think when it comes to suspension in particular that we just shouldn't be touching? Um, I guess, no, suspension is pretty safe. Uh, again, it's, it's all about the quality of the workmanship. If you're doing it yourself, you know, check the user manuals, go online, get a torque wrench, find the indications for the torque specifications and stick to them. If it's supposed to be Loctite, put Loctite on it. You know, the common sense, just stuff. Um, things usually get bad when people are ham-fisted. Um, but that aside, I mean, swapping out forks, changing forks, fork length, even by a few millimeters will change the ride characteristics. People don't realize how sensitive vehicles are. Um, cars and motorcycles. I, th th I'm not saying it's going to be catastrophic, but just be aware that changes to tire profile will change the suspension travel. You change the tire profile, it will roll into the corner differently. Now, some of that's very nice. You go, oh, I like this. This is more what I wanted. Terrific. Go for it. Have fun. 
but recognize that, you know, the bike as it was delivered was designed for a certain uh, outcome. And when you change out tires and suspension, then the outcome will change again, better in some ways for what you're looking for, but worse in others and be aware of that. So maybe the braking performance will, will be reduced in certain conditions because you change the suspension setting. Stiffer suspension means you're more likely to encounter chatter over broken surfaces and hard braking. Um, so that's it. Just be aware. Be aware when you make these modifications, you know, that there suddenly the 3,000 hours of testing that went into the bike before it was given to you is now basically gone. And you've got to reevaluate what the bike can do with your modifications. And you really need a baseline for that, don't you? I mean, it's something that, that I always do with a, a bike. I like to get the bike and ride it first for a very long time until I really get the feel for something before I start modifying it. Because without a baseline, you have no idea what you've changed and whether it's gotten better or worse. Well, and, and the biggest point anyone in this industry can make, and most veteran motorcyclists will do is say the same. Every stock motorcycle today is so far better than 99% of motorcyclists. You want to go faster in the corners, get some training, go to a track day. You want to be a better off-road rider, go get some training. Spend $300 on a weekend's worth of training before you spend $300 on any modification on your motorcycle. Because I guarantee you, the expert instructor can take a bone stock motorcycle and wax your behind on any course in the world. So the stock condition of most motorcycles is already far beyond the capability of most people. And I include myself very much in that category after, even after all these years, it's, you know, motorcycles are phenomenal now. So modify to your heart's content, make them as unique as you dare. Um, but just Stop lying to yourself that if you think you're going to make it somehow so much better than than stock, you're just going to make it better for you. And that's terrific. That's that should be applauded. But you're not making it holistically better. Is there any way to to know whether or not we're we're going to actually improve the ride when we start to mess with things? I mean, how do we go about it? In other words, if you you've got the new bike sitting there in the in the driveway, you've ridden it lots now, you know what it feels like. How do you know where to go from there? Or or maybe is that an indication that you shouldn't be doing it? I mean, the question. I guess I would I would say that. You know, there's a reason why I said earlier. You know, every region, every province or city has some kind of suspension guru or engine tuning guru. That person has spent many, many years working on many motorcycles and has learned things and failed and learned from those failures. Maybe they were a, a, a technician at a factory level for some reason or were a road racer or off-road racer or whatever. But that's the level of expertise you need. Um, you know, again, I'm not asking, I'm not telling people to not go on eBay and buy some forks and swap out some f the front end and have fun, have fun. That's great. I encourage that. But, but the, the, the fundamental truth is you are not going to improve the bike. Not knowingly. You need to have that depth of experience. You know how you talking about a baseline, you know how you get that baseline by methodical, you know, data entry, boring stuff. You know, like you'd have to ride the same stretch of road the same way 
over and over again and carefully, meticulously note the air temperature, the ground temperature. Was it wet? Was it humid? How did you feel? What did you feel feedback from the bike? And if you think I'm, I'm exaggerating, how do you think that the factories do it? The test program on every new motorcycle is like that. You have two or three test riders working with two or three suspension engineers and two or three chassis people and the project leader, and there are reams and reams and reams of data. And we have sensors, torque sensors mounted all over the bikes. You sometimes see these pictures in magazines. That's how you get a baseline. Anything else is just seat of the pants. And that's fun. And we love, North Americans, we love the story of the, of the hero, of the, the, the super talented, you know, technical wizard who just kind of felt their way through. Well, guess what? That doesn't happen. Okay? It just doesn't. Reality is, you know, every, think about whatever industry you work in your day job. How do you get good at it? By doing it lots and by being careful and disciplined. And that's the only way you can know if your motorcycle, what your motorcycle's performance baseline is and, and have a target of what you're trying to achieve and then work towards that target. And you're going to work through it by trial and error. Um, there's no silver bullet. There's no getting around this boring, methodical cataloging of, of data. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise what you're doing is you're just playing in your garage. And it, that, again, play in your garage. Do it. Have fun. But don't delude yourself into thinking that you're somehow going to find this magical place where your KTM is suddenly going to be like, you know, Red Bull racing ready. Like, it's just not. Are there any mods that you find that you're sort of leaning to when you buy a new bike or that you always do when you get a new bike? Yep. All the cheesy reflectors get pulled off. Um, the number plate, usually the, the big black plastic number plate holder. These are all banalities. I, you know, I, I like the bikes to look clean. So I get rid of everything that is really superfluous. Um, that's always the case. The other thing I do is I tend to remove stickers. I like bikes to have no graphics. If they've been clear-coded, then too bad for me. But in terms of techno technical improvement, zero. I've, I, I've had too many embarrassing conversations with senior engineers in my youth. I learned the way that you can't... This is the fundamental thesis of my, of my discussion tonight is you're going to be really hard pressed to improve your motorcycle. I've changed tires, you know, to suit what I do more, but, um, and I accessorize for sure. Um, you know, luggage racks and, you know, hand guards and skid plates and all that sort of thing. Um, but usually just for function or looks, you know, I've changed the paint. So in other words, yeah, really soft stuff. And you're talking to a guy who designs and manufactures motorcycles from scratch, like Suru and before that Amarok, their electric race bike, like we built everything from scratch. So it's not that I don't know how or that I don't have the connections to, for, to professional grade, you know, engineering suspension work. It's just with my stock motorcycles, they're already better than I am. So I really am just enjoying them as they come and making tiny changes to make them look nice for me. 
So without running through the same thing over again, you don't change suspension or anything? You're not putting in a better shock or better valving in the forks or anything like that? No, no, there's just... I, I just know, think that, it, like, I mean, you pointed out already, you're, you're, you're a motorcycle designer. That's what I wanted to say. It's kind of bizarre to hear this from someone who has all the capacity to make the modifications that all of us run out and do. And here you're saying, no, I, it's, it's beyond me. It's just sort of, I mean, they've already done the great job. Because what would I hope to achieve? I'll give you an example. I had an FZ1 uh, Yamaha street bike back when I was working from Bombardier. The bike had a detuned R1 engine at 150 horsepower, all these amazing technologies. It was too much motorcycle, frankly. And I've, I've had the privilege of riding, I, I don't know, I lost count, hundreds of motorcycles in my career from every major brand. And at some point, you know, I just, I think that was the first time I had a motorcycle where I realized there's nothing I could do to this that would make me worthy of it in its stock condition. I, my skill level is not there and I'm a good motorcyclist. I've had very few incidents. I've, I'm quick and I'm predictable and I'm confident in the dirt and on the road. I've ridden on the track, but it's just like, it's, it's the height of arrogance to suggest that somehow the bike needs improvement. I need improvement. I need better skills. Everyone does. You know, so the the best 500 bucks I ever spent was was going on a on a track day, not because I'm like racer boy. Just doesn't matter. Go on a racetrack with an instructor and get some skills, even on your adventure bike, especially on your adventure bike. They're amazing. The the modern adventure bikes are the best handling street bikes in the world. Period. Better than any super bike. But, you know, those bikes have tremendous capability. Sign up to a whatever, rider course, the, you know, sign up to a local dirt bike, you know, but somewhere where there's an instructor. Improve yourself. You will get so much more out of every motorcycle you ride. You will be more confident. You will ride with greater safety. You will enjoy yourself more than spending one thin dime on modifying a stock motorcycle. Modify them, but know that you're not going to make your riding experience. And most people say, oh, I could feel the difference. That's like, that's like saying, you know, that somehow your ass has the sensitivity to know that, oh, you know, and, and I mean, I'm sure there are people, perhaps yourself even, that are outraged by what I just said, but it's nonsense to think that you can feel the subtle changes in contact patch between tire X and tire Y. Over the course of a thousand kilometers, you'll notice, huh, you know what? This one feels better in the wet or, you know, but that's it. Just that feels better, but better how? More grip or just more feedback? Because those are not the same thing. And then, you know, this is why test riders on the, on the, at the OEM level, they're paid a lot of money and they're it's not just some guy who's like, I'm fast. Nobody cares about test riders being fast. Test riders are valued for their ability to accurately describe mechanical nuance, feedback. And then that, that gets correlated with the data they're getting from the sensors. So for someone just making changes in their backyard, feeling it through their butt and saying, oh, I can tell the difference. Well, I'm sure you can tell a difference, but I'd <laughs> be hard pressed to 
to describe that with any sort of scientific accuracy. Well, especially when you're saying, I mean, they're measuring, you know, things like temperature and, and torque and there's so pressure. Exactly. There's so many things that they're measuring and comparing from one to the other. And I've often said that when it comes to reviews, when you see someone review a tire in particular, um, you know, they'll talk about the tire being, you know, good on the road and, and not so good in this dirt and, and better in this dirt. But the thing is though, there's so many variables there for all of us. It depends on you and, and what do you have it's, on the bike, your riding style. There's so much and the weather. So, motorcycle journalism is, is 50% entertainment and 50% bull. And I say this as someone who's a monthly columnist for Cycle Canada and Motofire in the UK, and I write for a lot of publications, so I include myself in that, which is why I restrict most of my writing to, to things I know, which is, you know, how motorcycles are made. Because I like the guys I work with, and they're great fun, and, and everyone should read the motorcycle journals of their choice. They're, it's terrific. Read Alan Cathcart or read, you know, gosh, it doesn't matter, any of them that have been writing for a few years and compare the review of this 2018 model and go back 10 years or five years. They're saying the same things. This time they've raised the game. Oh, the braking is like last year's model was garbage, but the new brakes are so good. Every year they regurgitate the same nonsense that we, myself included, have put in the press releases from the manufacturer's side. You know, 12% increase in rigidity. You know, if you add up all the rigidity increases that I have written into press releases over the last 20 years, by this point, motorcycle frames would have no give at all. They'd, they'd be 100% rigid. <laughs> um, so it, my, what I'm trying to tell the listeners are, just as you can't possibly out smart professional engineers building, designing products for safety and a broad performance envelope. We're also at the same time, we, the manufacturers are leading you on. Like we're doing things to deceive you so that you buy our products. Does the rear shock, the actual coil, the, the, the spring, does it need to be that big? Here's the secret answer. No, it does not. It's big because big means strong. We paint it yellow and it's big and you go, ooh, heavy duty suspension. And we write some nonsense about how we've increased the fork diameter to 48 millimeters. And you, everyone's like, that's the must have. We all need 48 millimeter forks. You know what? All that does, yes, it does increase the stiffness of the individual components, but it doesn't increase the stiffness of the fork. That's a function of the way the two the slider and the stanchion come together. So unless you're Valentino Rossi or you're, you know, Mark Marquez, it's irrelevant. Stop listening to the nonsense we spout off in press releases and, and brochures. Don't like take what test riders say with a grain of salt when they say, I could tell that this is so much better than last year's. Really? Could you? Or is it because at the press launch, we gave you six margaritas the night before and put you up in a five-star hotel? Because that's what happened, you know? So, you know, and your magazine is struggling and we pay for 12% of the ad revenue. Like, this is the reality and everyone knows it's true. Even the guys writing it. So it's it's a wonderful little dance that we do. <laughs> and I've, I've had the privilege of being on both sides of the aisle. So, and continue to be. So it's, it's buy the motorcycle that makes your heart beat. Buy the bike and enjoy it. 
don't worry what your buddy says. He's regurgitating something that they read in a magazine that was regurgitated by a manufacturer that's half true and half marketing. Just go and ride. Go ride. Fix up the bike so that you look at it every time and go, damn, I love my motorcycle. And, you know, make it more comfortable or make it longer range or make it, you know, make it your own. And please get rider training. You always, I don't care how many years you've been riding, every year you should, you should pay someone to teach you something and you'll just be a safer, happier motorcyclist and you'll be way quicker um, than any modification you could possibly make, you know, over the counter. Michael, great to talk. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I've been speaking with motorcycle designer Michael Ulerick. You find out more about what he does with his Ride Suru at www.ridesuru.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you for being a part of this. If you like what we're doing, you want to help out, we need it. Drop by the website, www at Adventure Rider. <laughs> triple W at Adventure Rider. No, it's www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. Anything uh, $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Raw show. And uh, of course, we're, we have patrons, so that's a monthly program you can sign up to give the amount of a cup of coffee you know a couple liters of fuel a gallon of fuel whatever the case is any amount that you feel that this program is worth to you you can do that monthly and it's just automatic and then we can count on it don't forget we also have another show called ARR Raw and that's uh, once a month round table talks motorcycle travel and a bunch of other things me and a, a group of us on there subscribe separately again drop by the website click on the link all the uh, the show notes are at the website so drop by the website check it out we got a quite a bit there as well as we've got transcripts for you to look at so if you're interested in something we said and you weren't really sure what was said maybe you want to go back and read it it's all there for you anyway time to get in there and ride your bike thank you very much for listening see you next week my name is Jim Martin This is Scooter Chan Scotty uh, coming to you from Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 